are finishing our sermon series and wrapping it up. This sermon series we've called Your Move, where we are discussing our role, our responsibility in the mission of God to reach a lost and a hurting world. And so the theme verse for this series has been Ezekiel 34, 16. God says this, I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strays. I will bandage the injured and I will strengthen the weak. And so when he's talking about people who are lost, people who are injured, God is talking about their spiritual condition. So yes, we as followers of Jesus are called to attend to people's physical suffering and difficulties. And we do that in a variety of ways. But in an even greater way, we are to attend to and speak to their spiritual condition, their spiritual brokenness. Scripture tells us we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of God's glory, and because of that we are separated. Colossians 1 says we are alienated from God because of our sin. We are lost, as God said. And because we are lost, wandering, trying to live life on our own, we are also injured. Those are the consequences we experience because of sin. And God says, I'm not going to leave them as they are. And they're suffering in their condition. I'm going to go after them. I'm going to go after them. And I'm grateful that I have a God that didn't leave me as I was, but chose to come after me. He did that through his son, Jesus Christ. Sent his son to leave the comforts of heaven to come and purchase redemption for you and for me. And we have a role in that mission to tell others. We are to tell others there are certain moves we can make certain things we can do and we've talked about that through this whole sermon series how we notice people like Jesus did we have compassion on people we pray for people that God would save them and do what we can't we, we salt the world around us that if we are the salt of the earth we have influence over our world for Christ and and there are attitudes that we can have and actions and steps we can do in order to be that salt Last week, if you were here, we talked about connecting people with Christ. In other words, in conversations, how do I speak to them about the truth of the gospel to connect them with God? It's not just so that they would know me, but so that ultimately they would know the God that I serve. And so uh, this week, we're going to hit on another topic called continuing. Continuing, how do we continue our faith? And so as a, as a kind of a, a part of, of responding to what we've been talking about, we've had this Your Move display out in the lobby. If you've been here, you may have seen it. Uh, and so this is just an interactive kind of tangible way that you can respond to what God's calling you to do. Uh, a kind of a tangible, visible, interactive way that we can respond to the call of God. So we had different colored ping pong balls and they all represent something. Uh, the orange ping pong ball was for pray. So that, that if you got one of those orange ping pong balls, you committed to pray for someone, someone who's far from God, someone who doesn't know Christ, you're going to pray for them between now and Easter. And so many of you have done that. You said, hey, I'm going to pray for someone. So you took an orange ping pong ball and you put it in the display. And so all of the orange ping pong balls, how awesome is this, represent a person. A person that's being prayed for, that they would come back to the Lord, they experience his wholeness, his healing, his forgiveness. And so the next one was a white ping pong ball. And you see the word there is invite, invite. So we ask and challenge you that you would invite people to join you here at church. May have been here in the worship service, could be for a small group, maybe an event, something, but that you would invite people. And so if you invited someone, we ask you to take a, a white ping pong ball and place it in there. So every time you see a, a white ping pong ball, it represents someone who is invited 
to church to come and hear about this God that you live for and that you serve. And, and though you invite them, doesn't mean that they necessarily came. We can't control people's responses, but we can invite, right? And so the, the last one is, is the green ping pong ball. It represents spiritual conversations. So I challenged you throughout the week as, as God provides opportunity that you would have a conversation about spiritual things with people, that you'd kind of go below the surface as, as the Lord would lead and talk about things of the gospel, uh, truths about our Lord. And so if you did that, we ask you to take a green ping pong ball, place it in there representing that conversation. You see all the conversations that have been had. And so each of these steps, these ping pong balls, represent your move. Something that you did, something that God called you to do. And so we, we put the emphasis on our steps of obedience because we can't produce results. That we're going to trust that as we prayed for people, as we invited people, as we talked with people, that God's going to do what we can't. Take our actions, multiply them, bless them so that others then would come to Christ. And so it's exciting to see just a representation. I know You've had more conversations than just what's represented here. You've invited, you've prayed, but this is just kind of a a visual reminder of what what you are doing as the people of God and that God's going to take that and bless that. So this week we're going to talk about what does it mean to continue in this. We're finishing up the series today, but by no means do we want this emphasis to end, that we want this to be a lifestyle. We, We don't want this to just be a phase that we go through. You know, we could all go through phases. You may have had phases. Maybe it was a hobby or something. You kind of got into something and you bought all the equipment and you did all the stuff and you got real passionate about it, excited about it. Then in a few weeks, months down the road, it just kind of lost its interest. You know what I'm talking about, a phase? And in my late 20s, I was into a certain phase I'm not real proud of. It was my soul patch phase, okay? Does anybody know what a soul patch is? It's, it's a little tuft of hair that grows below your bottom lip, you know what I'm talking about? Looks like you got a little food there, people are confused. So I, for, the, for a few years in my late 20s, I thought it was cool to have a soul patch. I don't know why, I did, okay? And I'm not saying they're not cool in others, it's not on me, all right? So thankfully, it was a phase that just kind of passed, okay? And so, uh, and so we all go through phases. We don't want our emphasis on outreach to be a phase. We want it to be a lifestyle that hopefully as you live your life, you won't see people just in a natural way, that you'll see them like Jesus. They're, they're in need of Christ. Uh, they need the hope and forgiveness that only he can offer. And as you walk throughout life, you see people in that way. You relate to them, that you're continually praying and doing all those things. How will we continue in that. And so we're going to get the answer here from 2 Timothy. So 2 Timothy is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. He, he writes a letter to a young man named Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor in this, this city called Ephesus. And so Timothy was actually a, a disciple of Paul. Paul uh, brought him to faith, discipled him, brought him up in the ways of the Lord, and then, then led and put him in Ephesus as a pastor. So Timothy was a pastor in Ephesus. And so the letter of 1 Timothy is Paul writing to his young son in the faith, Timothy, just encouraging him how to pastor a church. So if you read through 1 Timothy, you'll see how, hey, Timothy, you need to appoint some people to help you. There's, there's going to be some elders that can help you and deacons. You need to appoint those people. Hey, here's how you refute false teaching. Here's how you relate to different groups and ages in the church. That's what 1 Timothy is. Kind of getting a start, getting going. So a few years pass between the letter and 1 Timothy to what we're going to read in 2 Timothy. But over those three or four years, a lot happens. Things become more difficult for this young 
pastor. And so this letter is, a, is kind of a word of encouragement. It's a charge for him to continue in God's calling to share the gospel in Ephesus. And so it's, a, it's an encouragement to us as well. As we think about, man, reaching people in our world for Christ, how we keep that going? How we keep that going? And so let's jump in. Second Timothy, they're going to read a verse and a half, and that's it, and, and kind of dig in on that. Second Timothy 1, 7 and, and half of verse 8. Verse 7, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but a spirit of of power, love, and self-discipline or sound mind. Verse 8, so do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. So from the top of this letter, he said a few flowery things to Timothy and said, hey, I believe in you. I see who you are. You can do it. And he's going to jump right into it because because Paul knows what's going to hold Timothy back is the same thing that's going to hold us back. What's going to keep you and me from continuing in this call to tell people about Jesus? What's what's going to prevent that? And it's one word. It's fear. It's fear. What, What was going to hold Timothy back? What was going to cause him to shrink away and quit? And it was fear. And from the top, Paul said, you can't have fear. Fear. So, so what is fear? Well, the New Testament was written in the common language of the day. It's something everybody spoke. It was called Greek. It's the ancient Greek language. Uh, and, and so New Testament was written in this common everyday language. The New Testament writers, they could have written in Hebrew, the language of the Jews, but, but they wanted everybody to understand. Everyone. So they wrote in the common language of the day, Greek. And so in the Greek language, there are several words for this we call fear. But they have different nuances, right? We have different nuances for fear. Not all fear is, is a bad thing, right? Uh, some fear can be beneficial. Think about if you're in a high place, you know, you're on a tower, an observation deck. You, you probably have a healthy fear of heights at that moment, right? That protects you. That protects you from, from, and it makes you careful. If you approach a snake, you may have a fear of that snake. And that, that's to protect you. That, that helps you. That's beneficial so you're not harmed or injured in that situation. So certain types of fear can be good and healthy. The scripture talks about the fear of the Lord. And so if fear is like this response within us to something great and powerful... We can have a fear of the Lord, but, but the fear of the Lord has a positive connotation, right? It, it produces awe and reverence. It produces faith and trust within us. So when Scripture talks about the fear of the Lord, that's a healthy fear. That's a, a good kind of respect and reverence, you could say. But when Paul uses this word, 2 Timothy 1.7, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, or your version may say timidity, it's a negative type of fear. In fact, in Scripture, this is the only time this word is used. And it always has a negative connotation. It was a word they knew from their culture. It meant that when you came upon a situation that that was great and powerful, or, or it was at least perceived great and powerful, you always responded with cowardice. You always shrunk back. You always separated yourself and avoided the situation. And so when it comes to responsibility... When it came to a calling, when it came to obedience, this type of fear, it made you run away from that. It made you not accept what God was calling you to do. It made you not accept and take hold of what you were supposed to do in the moment because of your cowardice. Because you shrunk away. And Paul says, don't have that kind of fear. God is calling you to to share the gospel, to be salt and light wherever you are. And the one thing that's going to hold you back 
is fear. So I want to break down that fear in the latter half of the sermon here. Is, is two questions I'm going to talk. What causes that kind of fear, that type of fear, that, that makes us have cowardly reactions? And then, and then how can we overcome it? Because we can. I mean, Paul's not going to say, hey, don't be this without telling him how to overcome it. So, so what causes that? What causes this type of fear? The first thing I want to say what causes that type of fear is our personality. Our personality. I mean, Paul is writing to a real man named Timothy with real like emotions and responses just like us. The commentator, writer, pastor, John Stott, he said this about Timothy. He said, he appears to have been a very shy and sensitive creature to whom responsibility was an onerous burden. So you get this picture of Timothy from reading First and Second Timothy. You kind of get his personality. That his personality was, we would maybe say, meek and reserved. Even you may say he had some level of anxiety with him. If you read through First Timothy, Paul has to tell him to fight. Timothy, you got to fight. So it wasn't in his nature to step up and fight, but he needed to fight the good fight. He tells Timothy later in 1 Timothy 4, he says, hey, don't let anyone look down on you because you were young. That, that tells me that Timothy had some insecurity even about his age and his ability to lead. It even says later in Timothy, Paul has to tell him because of his nervous stomach to drink a little wine, not just water, like for medicinal purposes. So, so he had this kind of personality about him and, Tim, and Paul knew that, that if he was in a tough situation, his, his inclination in that moment was to kind of avoid the conflict withdraw. Whereas Paul, we read about Paul. Paul was, was real bold, wasn't he? It seems Paul was real assertive, real confident in his ministry. And so you kind of contrast those two personalities. You think, well, who am I like? Not just when you're talking about politics or sports or something. I mean, like when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to telling people about Jesus, living up to your calling, are you more like Paul or are you more like Timothy? As I look around the room, I know there are some Pauls in this room. You're gifted in that way, and, and you, can, you can be bold and assertive. But if I would be honest, I, I would think most of us are a lot more like Timothy or, or toward that end of the spectrum. I would honestly place myself probably more toward that spectrum when it comes to these kind of things. That it's something that I have to deal with and overcome each and every day. And I think most of us like this. But here's the good news. No matter what our personality is like, God can use Paul's and God can use Timothy's, okay? God can give you what you need to live out his calling. So sometimes just our personality creates this. And we have to recognize that. We have to recognize that and be willing to deal with that. The next thing that would cause fear within us is culture. It's culture. The culture around us. Listen, in Ephesus, in Ephesus, it wasn't popular to believe in this Jesus of Nazareth. It wasn't popular at all. In fact, uh, Paul tells us that the Gentiles, those who weren't Jewish, just everyone else who had secular religion, they thought the gospel was foolishness, he said. That there would be a God, first of all, one God, one true God, and he would have a son that would come to the earth and not come to this earth, as we sing, as a king, but as a lamb, a, a weak lamb, and die at the hands of the Romans. That's foolishness. It's not how a God would conquer at all, so that they believed that, that this gospel was just pure foolishness, and you were a fool for believing it. But then Paul says, on the other hand, the Jews, they, they believed that if you, if you thought this Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah, that you were a heretic, that you believed that this man who was born in the Galilee region would, would come and be the, the promised Messiah of Israel. They rejected that. So from all sides, Timothy, 
is not being thought of well, is he? Culture's putting that pressure on him to cower in fear, even in his own church. So for us, even in the body of Christ, see, for, for, for Timothy, there were, there were people in there trying to undermine his authority, undermine his calling, try, trying to, to promote false teaching. That happens within the church as well, not just our church here, but the church at large, the body of Christ. We, we feel this sense of fear coming because maybe people don't always agree with us. And then even Timothy, he, he had such that close relationship. He had a close relationship with this man named Paul. And where was Paul when he wrote this letter? He was in prison. He was in prison. Everybody thought, well, he's a failure. He's in prison. So people didn't think well of Paul. And so for Timothy to be associated with him would make him maybe not look so great either. And so you see this pressure mounting on Timothy. You see this pressure mounting on us. Our, Our culture is not any different. That sure, our culture, they think there are some positive things to believing in God. You know, when we preach the gospel, sure, I think people like to hear about the love and the grace and the mercy. And those are amazing things we should preach, but we should never preach the gospel without talking about the cross. And when you talk about the cross, you have to talk about sin. And sin's just not popular to talk about. That means there is a right way and there's a wrong way. And that means we've gone the wrong way. And none of us like being told we're wrong. I don't. I don't like someone to tell me I'm wrong. And when I talk about the gospel, though you may not bring it in their face, but when you talk about sin and rebelling against the Lord, that that people have to come to terms with that internally and they wrestle with that. Jesus said people don't like being exposed to the light because of their darkness within inside of them. And so when we bring the light of the gospel, it creates a tension within people because they have to have to face their own darkness in their heart. And so that puts pressure on us, man. When those encounters come and people don't like talking about sin and what the truth of the gospel is, it brings pressure. So culture, culture can make us cower in fear. And then last is just, I just put a word, rejection. Rejection. We don't like being rejected. Here's the truth. You can write it down. It's true for all of us. We like being liked. We like being liked and we don't like being rejected. And so if we talk about the gospel, if we talk about God, then, then the enemy, even our own hearts, tell us then people may not like us quite as much as they did before if we start bringing up like religion and God and spiritual things. We, we may take a knock on, on, on the social strata, right? We, we may not get invited to the same parties, the same things, because, oh, well, you know, they're a follower of Christ and, and they're really serious about it. People don't want you around. And we don't like being rejected. I don't like being rejected. And I want people to, to like me. That's not a, a bad thing, but it can keep us, prevent us from doing what God's called us to do. This fear, this fear of rejection. Look, in, in verse 8, he said, don't be ashamed. Uh, Eugene Peterson in the message, which is like a paraphrase, his kind of paraphrase of what Paul was saying. He says, instead of don't be ashamed, beloved, he says, don't be embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed to talk about Jesus. And I know each of us, if you've been in that situation, you're faced with that. Man, the conversation's going great, but if I talk about Jesus or I talk about spiritual things, I might be embarrassed, and we don't like being embarrassed. I don't like being put in that situation, so what do we do? We cower. Instead of facing facing that fear, facing that embarrassment, that, that we all have to come to a point that, that we love being obedient to Christ more and we love the approval of other, other people. I mean, even social media, it's built on the approval of other people, right? And we do everything to gain approval. 
But at some point, those are going to collide. Your obedience to the gospel and people's approval of, and you have to decide which one are you going to follow. So these are ways that, that we become fearful to, to talk about God, to, to tell people about Jesus, even just invite them to church and our own personality, culture. We don't want to be rejected. So how do we overcome that? Because we can. We, we can overcome that. And go back to, to verse 7. Reading the ESV version, he, he says, English Standard Version says, For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. So God, listen, didn't give you that fear. So the fear that you have, that fear of rejection, that, that fear of loss or whatever it is, that, that potential embarrassment, it didn't come from God. You have to know that. It didn't come from God. It came from you. It, it came from within, and we all have to face that. We all have to confront that, and then we have to trust, and then what can God give us to overcome that? How do we overcome that fear? It's what he can give us, that power, that love, and that self-control or self-discipline or sound mind. Each of these things God gives us, it combats the fear within us. Let's walk through them real quick. Power. So God, as we walk in obedience, gives us power, power to overcome our insecurities, power to be able to say things that we didn't even realize we could articulate. The, the prophet Ezekiel, God gave him a calling, said, you need to go and tell people to repent. And God tells him, I'm going to give you a forehead like flint. In other words, I'm going to give you a, a, a strength beyond your ability. That you're going to be able to withstand things that come against you. Even when it's just the lies of the enemy. You're going to have a forehead like flint. You're going to have that power as you walk in obedience to God's calling to tell people about him. He's going to give you power. Power to endure. Power to say things. Power to be obedient. But guess what? You have to walk first. You have to obey. You're not going to just sit on the couch one day and say, God, make me powerful. God gives you power as you walk, as you obey. You know what I'm talking about. If you've ever obeyed God, he gives you that power. So in this area, how do you overcome fear? Through the power, the power of the Holy Spirit that God gives you as you walk in obedience. But also you have his love, power, love. So you have love, that God gives you his love. Now, now fear, when we have fear... Our focus, our eyes are only on ourselves. That's fear in any situation. We're not thinking about the potential. We're thinking about us. We're thinking about our comfort in that moment. And the love of God, what does the love of God do? It, it doesn't focus on self. It focuses on others. So when we have the love of God, when, when the love of God fills us, it helps us focus on the good of other people. What's in their best interest? What's in their best interest is for them to know God. They may not know that. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that. The best thing someone can do is to follow Christ with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's the best kind of life. That's the life they were purposed for. And if we love people, yes, we, we understand things, certain discomfort, disapproval may come in our life. But because we love them, we want what's best for them and not ourselves. And that's a relationship with Christ. So in the love of God, it can overcome that fear. And then last, self-control. That self-control. See, fear, what does it do? It intoxicates us, doesn't it? Man, it can so fill us, it can make us do things we wish we wouldn't do, or, or, or it would make us not do things we wish we did. But it controls us, our love of approval, it controls us in situations. But God doesn't give us a mind that's controlled by the outside world. He gives us a mind of self-control. That means we can reject outside influences by his power and have a mind that's sound, a mind that's disciplined. 
to do what he's called us to do. Does discipline mean I won't have objections or adversity? No, it means I have the ability to overcome them and make the right decision and the wisdom and the strength of God. And so God gives us that mind as we walk. So listen, you can overcome your fear. I can overcome my fear of telling people about Jesus. Is it, is it natural to feel that? Yes, we're not abnormal for having an apprehensive nature about talking about spiritual things. There are a lot of things against us, the enemy, culture, our, even ourselves. But God's called us to a great task because there is a lost and dying world that needs him. And he's called us to do it. We can't be held back by fear in our life. And this is something we have to confront every day. Look, to me, overcoming fear is not a one-time event, is it? It's not like, okay, I'm done with it. It's just going to come back. But listen, God's provision in that moment of his power, love, self-control is not a one-time supply either. It's not a one-time offer. Every time you need it, it's right there for you. Give you what you need to obey him, to experience all that he has for you. So let's be people of obedience. Let's not be people of fear. Let's reach our lost and hurt world. Listen, even just let's limit it to central Louisiana. Central Louisiana needs Christ. We can read the headlines. You can scroll the articles that they need Christ. People in your world, they need Jesus, the hope of Jesus. Will you, will you go and tell them? Will you go and tell them today? You know, I'll wrap up our service today with a time of, of response and invitation And so we do this every now and then at Calvary. And so it's a time for you to respond to the work of God in your life because every person in this room walks in here with their own journey, their own story. And I know God has been at work long before you came to this room. That I know our sovereign God loves you and he wants a relationship with you and he's been at work in your heart in various ways. And maybe you've come in here and you've heard a song, you've heard words, you've seen the testimony of a baptism and God's calling you God's calling you, so as God moves in your heart, what's the move you're going to make? In just a moment, we're going to stand, we're going to sing in just a moment. We're going to have an, an invitation. We invite you to respond to the work of God. And I know in those moments, if God is leading you, the Spirit of God is telling you, fear sets in, doesn't it? Man, I, I don't want to come down front and talk to a minister down here and tell them that I want to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Though I've known God in my life and I've known about Him, I've never committed my life to Him. I've never said yes. And today I want to throw a stake in the ground. I want to say yes to Christ and be a follower. I'd ask you when we stand in a moment that you would just be bold and walk and come down and say, I want to say yes to Jesus. But maybe even throughout the series today, you say, you know, I, I want to overcome that fear. I want to take that next step and be a public witness for Christ. I want to tell others about him. I want them to have the hope. Maybe you would come forward and just say, I commit to that. That's all I want. Would you pray for me? But some of you, you need to first take that first step of, of being public and being baptized. You, you're committed to Christ. You live for him, but you've never shown that through baptism and that you would come down and say, hey, I, I want to know what it means to be baptized. I want to talk about that, that you'd step out in a moment, come forward in boldness and do that. Or We have the steps open always for prayer, that if there's someone that needs prayer, that you want to pray for that they've come back to God, that you would come down and pray. And I think God would honor your being. So would you stand now and as the work of God stirs your heart, that you would respond to how he's speaking to you.